Hey, motherfucker. Ho, ho, ho. You're getting some extra shows this month. The spirit has overtaken me. Um, just by the way, my name is Jess. Someone recently told me they had been listening to the show for months and they just figured that out. So apparently I do not say it often enough. Also, I never said that I was any good at this. Now let's talk about something else that I never speak towards. That thing is sex. Slopping Joes, pounding hoes, sucking toes. Ugh. I mean, not me personally, but whatever you are into, I think that it's great for you. Don't even look at my feet. So I make jokes when I'm uncomfortable and nothing makes me more uncomfortable than strangers or people I do know who are pod stalking me thinking about me and slamming in the same string of thoughts. So get ready for a lot of innuendos to ease my pain. And I'm going to try to use different ones than in the two episodes that have been put out on the private stream, trying to keep challenging myself and freshening the giggle pot for all of you. I have to say, uh, things have already gotten pretty creative on that front. So I'm sorry for some of the things you're about to hear. But let's talk about burning bush. Okay. We fuckers often have, let us say, um, complicated relationships with our tender meats and intimate matters. There's a tendency for our sexual habits and opinions to be rather unhealthy and imbalanced. They are often malefitting rather than benefiting us in the long run. And this happens in the usual directions that trauma brains tend to move in. Towards overcompensation or overdoing it, over-relying upon it, or towards avoidance, underdoing it, being repulsed by it. But what's even more complicating is we're often developing these back-and-forth overcompensations or avoidances as reactions to our own prior thoughts, feelings, and experiences. And it happens as we're developing our next set of thoughts, feelings, and experiences. As you know, as chronically traumatized persons, we also have extreme experiences, which means those adaptations we make can also be very intense, not necessarily measured or holistically well strategized for us. Often we fall into black or white terms. So, with each new experience, there's the potential for us to form a completely new set of opinions and behavioral instructions, which might completely contradict what we previously thought we knew and needed to do. I.e., think of folks who overcorrect for being religious prudes into their early 20s, and then they go absolutely hog wild in the other direction seemingly as some sort of testament to how much they righteously disagree with their own previous self and the people who pushed those beliefs on them. Or the exact opposite of that. Think of wild childs who take on a righteously pious position later in life 
banishing boning from their existence entirely. Yeah, these adaptations happen throughout a lifetime. As experiences and circumstances change, so do our internal programs around saucin' and tossin'. You with me so far? Great. Now let's add in the part where we don't necessarily integrate any of these changing opinions and behavioral instructions throughout our entire beings. As in, we end up having parts of our psyches that feel one way and stay with that rigid perspective, and other parts that have come to feel another way entirely, both living within us at one time. Each part is certain that it knows the truth, and depending on which part is activated in which moment, we'll have a completely different outlook and set of actions at our disposal. Is that already explaining some things? I hope so. So, especially when we talk about sexual dysfunction in complex PTSD, we have to talk about the things that have happened to us in the past, not only where we are at in the present, in order to understand all of these parts. There's a very good chance that we are still carrying those strong, oppositional, disintegrated programs and they can pop up at any moment if the stimulatory events are right. Hey, <laughs> stimulatory events. That wasn't even supposed to be sexual. That was just behavioral science speak. Got a free innuendo there. The point is, we have to look at how our early childhood experiences may have created youthful child parts with outdated views on bop and booty that we still carry, how our early sexual experiences then added a new layer of learning and comprehension, which may have changed everything or solidified our past views. Were those first times magical or traumatic and rather eye-opening? We also need to look at how adulthood has continued to shift everything, from the relationships we've been in, to the roles we've had in and out of the house, to the survival responses we've possibly been trapped in for years on end, to, of course, the sexual assault and harassment that we've picked up on the job, in our relationships, and in our families, all the way down to our health, mentally and physically, and any related medical factors that might now be at play. There is so much to consider, and we do have to look at our lives in snapshots while also seeing how all of those pictures eventually come together, forming a massive mural, with each new photo that's inserted being both informed by what's already happened and informing the rest of what is to come and the entire overall view that we are adopting. So we have to be aware of the parts inside of us that we could normally keep exiled or repressed. The younger bits that have probably been poorly informed with their views on sex, either due to no experience or inappropriate, non-consensual, manipulative experience. 
We have to be aware of our protective parts that tend to run the show. They keep us safe. They manage the rest of our thoughts, feelings, and actions. They develop over time as we have more and more experience, sometimes opposing each other, sometimes ganging up together to form a united and unquestionable front of a singular perspective that dominates all the rest. And we also have to beware of how we maybe distract ourselves from pain, discomfort, and unmet needs with a giant coping crutch known as shooting our shot. If you're lacking in the dopamine department, there's almost always a solution right around waist height. Maybe you need someone else involved to fully comfort yourself. Maybe you are happy on your own. But the option is there, and it can be very heavily relied upon. So, looking at our sex lives, assessing their health, and comprehending how we settled on the strategy that we're currently using, or any strategy we used in the past, well, it's not a pat and simple process. We, at the very least, need to discuss learned narratives in childhood, learned protective strategies in adulthood, contradictory messages and instructional systems between both, and use of sex and self-gratification for distraction. So, let us. All right, because we've got to start somewhere. The first thing to consider in my most logical view is your childhood narratives that were developed around slurp and softies. So what were the opinions expressed around you about sex? What was talked about and what wasn't? How were adults possibly inappropriate with you? And what did that tell you about your role in life versus your value versus the expectations placed on your tiny head? How did the media that you consumed influence your ideas? How did your peers, how did your social standing, the acceptance or rejection that you faced? What was the childhood fantasy that you developed about original sin, having very little experience with it yourself? Of course, those with childhood sexual abuse histories have a lot more to consider. I'm not your therapist, and I'm not going to take anyone deeply into those nooks and crannies on a goddamn podcast. So what I will say is, how was your valuation of self possibly affected? What did you learn was safe and what was dangerous? How did you need to act to be secure in your life from the perspective of a child without a lifetime of better informed experiences? What roles did the adults teach you? How did they act around sex? Like it was a secret, like it was a dirty thing, or like it was some kind of magical thing shared between you. And remember, many of these youthful lessons are going to be encapsulated in exiled parts, younger parts of our psyches that we developed, later deemed dangerous or unfit to exist, and have tried to repress ever since. So they might be very hard to access 
and they might be very, very discrepant views from what you would consciously report today. Then I suggest you also consider how those narratives were affected by hitting adolescence. Did your parts differentiate further? Perhaps those early childhood lessons were confirmed by early romantic experiences. Perhaps not. Did your views change? Did your self-assessments? Did your learned roles? Did your behaviors? What were early experiences like for you? And did they instill any new lessons? How did those lessons interact with the lessons that you had already picked up earlier in life? Again, these may be exiled parts you're dealing with, so their whimsical or damning views need not mean anything about you now or ultimately on any kind of cosmic scale. There's a really great chance that you do not agree with what your teenage self asserted was sexual reality. But it's still helpful to touch on those beliefs because they do, at some level, still live inside of you somewhere. And, of course, we have to ask, how have those ideas possibly also been overruled or exaggerated by the lessons that you have learned as an adult? How have mature relationships shifted your relationship with clam slamming? How has the entire world, how has the never-ending pressure factory known as being alive in a failing capitalistic society, how have your long-term relationships in which it was dutiful for you to regularly dig up bones? From all of those factors, does it seem like you've developed any new outlooks, safety strategies, or behavioral programs that seem to rule your whapping? Perhaps the answer is yes, but they contradict each other. Perhaps not. You are still operating on narratives from teenage fur trappings. Perhaps you have no fucking idea, but you are positive that things have changed based on the outcome that you've seen. You might notice your adult programs explicitly contradict your younger programs. And when there is a threat of sex, your exiled parts completely disappear as older, wiser, more rigid, and concerned with responsibility parts, known as managers, take the steering wheel, turning you off, shutting snatches into dry, dark, bramble patches. Or you might realize the exact opposite happens. Your older, more adult views on intimacy can be overridden in emotionally charged moments by your youthful, perhaps unwise, exiled parts. All your abstinent intentions go out the window, and you end up with a morning full of regrets, perhaps. I don't know. I can't tell you what's happening downstairs versus what the captain is calling for from the attic. But I can tell you that there are a lot of oppositional programs we can develop over an entire lifetime, as inaccurate narratives are replaced by real-world experiences, good and bad, accurately assessed or not, leaving our brains with confusion and congestion when it comes to poke and patties. 
So what have you been through and how did you adapt? How have your perspectives changed? How have you developed parts that try to keep you protected? And how are all of these efforts to adjust, recalibrate, and fortify your system against threat? Maybe not in your best interest. Perhaps all your needs aren't being met. Maybe your relationship world has gotten very complicated. Potentially, it's become very avoidant due to the ever-lingering risk of attracting unwanted interest, of expectations being put on you that you don't think you'll be able to meet, that you fear having to sell yourself out to meet. It's very possible you realize that the very threat of having any sex placed upon your glowing goodies is the very reason that you've withdrawn from human connection. It's all about expectations. Or maybe that's just me. Again, I can't tell you, but I can tell you to also check out your relationship to sex as a distractor tactic. A lot of folks with dopamine-deprived brains fall into the trap of using their lap as a comforting and coping tactic, or as a way to be in the body without panicking, or as a replacement for the many needs that they aren't able to fulfill, so it becomes a stand-in and a crutch. In the same way that we use drugs to change how we feel, we can do that with the muff that we stuff. So a bad day, a stressful outlook for tomorrow, boredom, loneliness, existential terror, all of it can be treated with a heavy hand of uh, heavy hands, which has its own share of pros and cons. Does it work for a while? Yeah, for a while. Does it often spin out of control and or lose efficacy after that while? Yeah, it sure does. Does it hold the potential for harming the people involved? You betcha, even if it's a one-person party at the Love Shack. Why? Again, it comes down to, at a minimum, not recognizing or meeting all of your needs, using touch as a crutch, and allowing the deprived needs that are being masked by the self-gratification to continue festering, driving dissatisfaction no matter how many turns are taken in the tugboat. Or, if this isn't a solo act, we can easily use that behavior to start meeting inappropriate needs that can become directly harmful to others, such as power, control, predictability, achievement, um, American psycho anyone? We don't want to use sex to support our egos. If we lose sight of the other person and only concentrate on getting what we think we need out of doing it, then we lose sight of the actual benefits of intimacy, connection, mutuality, collaboration, etc. Instead, it's a hollow and ultimately stressful experience just like the soldiers reported from our first episodes this year on loneliness. The mojo dries up, and the mofo is still sad and alone with themselves, 
unable to get their emotional needs met. So, fuckers, I'm not here to tell you that changing your approach to grinding gear is the right or wrong answer for you. I don't know. I am here to say that sex is complicated and inextricably linked with trauma, as well as need fulfillment, self-esteem, and overall life satisfaction. So it's worth checking out. And I strongly suggest you do it through a lens of parts, perhaps using the internal family systems framework that we have been working with all year. Noting your exiles, your younger views on mashing monsters that may be getting lost in the hustle or may take over when you weren't originally planning to bust all. Your managers, these safety programs and regulations that you've developed throughout adulthood, which may inhibit the exiles to your own chagrin. And your distractor parts, the habitual ways that you cope with pain through disassociation, self-comfort, and limited needs fulfillments. The impulse to use gonadal gratification to escape the world. Then, placing those parts and programs in your past history, try to understand how they were developed. What adaptations do they represent? To what? How have they been functional and helpful? And from there, reinform the parts that need to be updated on how much you've grown and changed since they were first installed. So perhaps they can lay down their guard and you can come to a more cohesive, conscious, and beneficial strategy when it comes to you, your explicit exploits. But, hey, I mean, what do I know? <laughs> um, apparently, I know about three hours of this discussion on stick and poke, because that is what I've already put out this month on the topic. So, if you are wandering through a thick, impenetrable jungle of your own sexual dysfunction, I mean, I wouldn't ever say I'm the guy to ask, but I will say I've got some fuckers thinking about it so far. And for a lot of our shameful parts, that's a pretty big part of the battle. So check those offerings out if you are interested. We go into much greater detail than we just have here and give you a lot of reflective questions to work with patreon.com slash traumatized motherfuckers. That is where we're also wrapping up all the loose ends on our relationship discussion that has run through all of 2023. I've been putting out more content than any of us can believe lately in doing so, and we are already working on reflecting and re-envisioning for the new year there as well. Jump in so you don't accidentally repeat this year, when the calendar flips over in the next. Because, you know, endless trauma loops, as we say. But that's not how we lay. All right. I'm out of slang, but I will talk to you guys around the holiday. And until then, ho, ho, ho. Hail your sexual archaeology conducted through parts and protective programs. Hail your sexual healing, aided greatly by understanding the litany of lifelong wounds you are working with, 
and how those wounds may inspire you to act in ways that contradict each other. So you can create an integrated intimacy ideal and work towards bringing it into reality. Hail me, who's getting over a decade-long avoidance of talking about sex. I have my reasons. Hear them in the private stream, but keep me out of your sweaty dreams. And that's it. Talk to you soon. Take care. And cheers, y'all. Bye-bye.